welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm back. And today I've been getting so excited about this interview ever since I met Lino. Lino, I had the privilege of being on Lino's podcast, A Little Less Fear, a while ago. And we just clicked. Like, we just clicked. It was like I was meeting my brother from another mother. <laughs> and Lino is has such an, an amazing story that I was like, you have to be on my podcast. And so, you guys, I am so incredibly delighted to bring Lino to the podcast. So, Lino Martinez, PsyD, is the for, is in the forefront of his life for the first time as a man. At birth, he was given a rare genetic disease, Muckles-Wells syndrome, in which he was diagnosed 36 years later. In just 12 years, from ages 26 to 38, Lino had gone through 40 surgeries to maintain his life. Lino was also born female and transitioned from a female body to male to better match his authentic self at age 34. Lino is now 43 years strong and thriving for the first time in his life. With incredible health experts and a strong will to survive, Lino was able to take his pain and create a fruitful life with it. He now lives as vibrant as possible, walking on two legs with his doctorate in clinical psychology. His dissertation explores explored ways to help women suffering with chronic urological conditions using you by using existentialism and providing a model for a therapeutic setting. Some of his greatest passions are writing poetry, singing, interviewing people on his podcast show, and showing love to the world. He is also inspired by the deaf community and aspires to connect the hearing world and the deaf world. Lino wishes to help the suffering world through telling his story and writing to help the world be a better, peaceful, loving place for humanity. With his new book, A Little Less Fear, Lino hopes to encourage others to live by his motto of living life with more love and a little less fear. <laughs> Lino, welcome. I'm so excited and so glad you're here. Thank you so much. It's really an honor and it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, my delight. So, I mean, there's just so, so, so much here. I mean, first off, I guess before we go into like, so talk about being an empath, let's just, you know, I had never heard of Muckle Wells until I met you. Mm -hmm. So how about we even just start there with like, what is Muckle Wells syndrome? What does it look like? I mean, obviously, if you didn't know about it for 36 years, that must have been a nightmare. But just can we start with that? Like, just what is it? So um, I don't know how technical to get, but basically it's it's a mutation of the genetic 
variant called the NLRP3 genetic variant. And sometimes in some individuals, it's mutated and sometimes it's not. And when mm-hmm. it's not, it means it, it, it can turn on or off. The disease can turn on or off like a satellite or like a receiver, like a channel, like a station, depending on outside and environmental stimuli. So in my case, um, I believe now from now that I'm 43 and I've seen many experts and I've gone through it all, what activated this rare genetic disease, because actually a lot of people have this genetic variant, except it doesn't activate in everybody. Yes. But in in my case, when it does activate, it's statistically one in a million, which is Mm -hmm. very, very rare. And so I feel that what ignited this variant to go off was the fact that I was born with the cord wrapped around my neck. I was about two months early. I didn't get enough oxygen as a baby. And I was a, I was a, uh, an emergency C-section for my mother. I feel that not getting sufficient oxygen is what contributed and ignited this disease to go out, go out in flight and fight mode and just systematically start going from there. Cause my father remembers me being about six months old and, and me crying to sleep and, and he seen my body would spasm, but they weren't seizures. My mm. tummy, my body was spasming. He didn't understand. I mean, that was borderline 1979-1980. I was born in January 80. So it's like, what do they know back then? You know, they didn't right. I mean, they still didn't know till I was 36. So <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, the disease started to slowly manifest. I mean, I'm gonna say actually rapidly manifest itself. I, I couldn't gain weight. I wasn't growing. Even now I'm barely five feet tall. Um, and, uh, you and me I was, both, oh, the <laughs> I'm same height. Wow. And, yeah, I'm five foot and three quarters of an inch. Oh, so. wow. hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember writing, writing a lot. I started writing when I was a little kid and in one of my diaries, I was about 10 years old and I was 50 pounds and, and, and really down on myself for being the smallest in class, the skinniest, the bags under my eyes. Like it, I was just, I wasn't, uh, thriving. Yeah, And so um, as the disease progressed, basically what the disease does is it causes inflammation all over my body, mm-hmm. everywhere, including mm-hmm. motor neurons, including um, the nerves of the body. And, and when there's too much inflammation for too long, it starts to cause a major domino effect of dysfunction. And yes. in my case, what it started to cause is paralysis, atypical wow. paralysis. And so by the time, to make the long story short, by the time I was 26 years old, uh, the way that the disease was like uh, in full force at, at this time was I was not able to pee. Mm. And I thought the doctors were like, well, maybe it's a UTI. And I kept going. There was no UTIs. And it was like, I have to pee all the time. Mm. Every five minutes, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe it's like irritable bowel syndrome, but urinary irritable bowel. I'm like, mm, no, I feel fine. So they tried all kinds of stuff to make my, they noticed that my bladder, oh, when they finally looked inside my bladder, they saw that it was hardening and shrinking and they didn't understand what this was. They said, well, it's inflammation of the bladder lining called interstitial cystitis. We're just going to make it bigger. And the more they made it bigger, the more it got traumatized and it would just shrink up even more. Oh. Yeah. So then I finally ended up going to UCLA at 20, at 28 years old. And by then I could. I was, I really couldn't pee much at all. And so they did endless studies and tests and they said that my pelvic muscles were not, were not working. They weren't expelling urine. It's like they were frozen. Mm. And so, um, when you don't, when you don't use it, you lose it. 
Right. Just like any muscle. If you gain atrophy, if you don't use it. So the more time went by and the more doctors were trying to do procedures and trying to figure it out, the more my bladder was shrinking. And by by the time I was 32, I was only holding four ounces of liquid. And by then they already had done, oh, about 12 surgeries to try to save this bladder. But the um, the the last... I guess what ended up really being the it's time to get it out was the fact that I was catheterizing 10 times a day for a year. That's 300 times a month through my urethra for a year. And by then it was so painful. It was so strictured. I was crying every time I couldn't, I didn't want to live. I didn't even want to live anymore. Really? Yeah. I thought, well, yeah. what's, what's the point of life now? And so finally, wow. after very carefully thinking about it, big time specialists at UCLA finally said, you know what? Um, it's best we reconstruct your urinary system and we remove your bladder. And I was scared. I'm not going to deny it. I was scared. I was 33 and I never met or even heard article, read articles of people living a long life. Can you live without pain? Can you live without a bladder? Right. I mean, a gallbladder all the time, you know, and I had met Well, and I've man. heard of people who've had like, you know, colostomy bags and people who have right. lived without in te- parts of their intestines. But exactly. I don't think, I think you're the first person I've ever met who said that they, that you were living without a bladder. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and, so and isn't it interesting that kidneys, I don't know if you're aware of this, but kidneys are connected to fear. And, you know, like there's a whole connection between like, like kidneys and our relationship and, and like, and fear. And the fact that your podcast is called a little less fear when the area of your body that was having issues is the whole urinary tract tract arena, because I think, you know, anyway, sorry for interrupting you, but I was just thinking like, no, That's and an you're right on point because it. what you're talking about, actually, I discovered years later, I discovered maybe just barely two years ago, very recently, that a lot of the things that manifested in my body were all emotion. They're, everything is, is attached to an emotion. So, I mean, yeah, the disease that may have activated when I wasn't breathing as a kid, but other right. things were present in my life. My mother was emotionally unavailable. She was an alcoholic. My father was working all the time. And then I knew I was a boy from the time I was a kid, but my parents forced me to wear girl clothes and bows in my hair. And I mean, literally forced me. And so all this fear that I was living in, it makes sense why that would be the first thing to go. Yeah. The first thing that was going. So, yeah. So, yeah, they they removed my bladder. I'd only met one man that had it done and he was in his 90s. And I thought, well, what the hell? He's 70 years older than me. Can I make it that long? Am I going to live? I just went for it. At that point, there was no there was no more room for fear. At that point, it was just survival. I got to do this. So I finally had a complete reconstruction of my of my uh, urinary tract. And as you were talking about intestines, they removed um, the first surgery. They removed about twenty inches of my intestine, and the second surgery about thirty inches of my intestine. Wow! Small intestine to make a a reservoir for my urine. It's called a neobladder. And now they can then they use my appendix to create a conduit, which is a hole where I catheterize the stoma through uh, in my abdomen area. And so um, yeah, it was a very crazy, crazy surgery, three blood transfusions, it was 13 and a half hours, and it took about five years to heal. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. 
Well, and, and, you know, as you speak about it, it took five years to heal. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed for a lot of people is that we have such a quick fix culture that a lot of times we start thinking like, and doctors often will give misinformation about the, the, in terms of the the length of healing process. Like, it seems like doctors and contractors always underestimate the amount of time it's going to take for something to get done. And so I'm just thinking like, what a, an amazing journey for you to go through five years of the healing process, especially like I just know so many people who probably would have been like six months into it and been like, this isn't working and like just not trusting in the healing process. So how was that five year healing process for you? Did you have moments of doubt? Did you have points where you were just like, I don't know, do I need to just be patient or did this just not work or? It came to a point where, I mean, I've always been very, um, very ambitious since I was a kid and I've always been very loving and had a, had a lot of love to give people and to give myself despite the challenges. Yeah. So at that point, what I had done is accepted it as being my forever life, which I now see I had to actually give that up in order for me to thrive. Mm -hmm. But at that point, that was the best thing I could do is to accept it. This is my forever life. I will be forever disabled. And maybe I will always live as a patient in hospitals. I was living in hospitals for 10 years. That was my life. Yeah, I was having four, uh, averaging four surgeries a year. And my my friends were doctors and nurses. You and were I averaging. My, I also had my current friends. But yeah. being in hospitals so much, it, I felt like a celebrity. Like, oh, here's at the time I was Carolina. There's Carolina. Oh, hey. You know, so it was like. I just, I loved it. I loved interacting and, and I felt safe there. Really. I felt like yeah. I was safe. Yeah. Well, and you know, you said something about like you had to accept it. And I think that the irony of any real deep healing, healing process is that before we can change it, we have to accept it. And that resistance to the truth of where we're at is often the thing that keeps us stuck in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. There was nothing to resist. And honestly, I never resisted it from the start. I, the thing that I did resist in the beginning were the thoughts of, can I live? I'm still going to go through it, but it's still, there's still a resistant thought of, can I live? Can you and live? When I was yeah. able to say, well, you know what? I don't know. And I'm going to go for it. And so I kind of just released re resistance after that and just, and, and uh, went head, head on. I mean, Lino, your story is just so remarkable on so many different levels. And I, I just, I do want to reinforce, like you were talking about how being at, like, sometimes it's like trauma that really activates something within somebody. And I had a friend who developed um, a disease that can be dormant in somebody's system for many, many, many years. And I sincerely believe that the thing that activated it with them was that they tripped on the stairs and they fell and they hit their head and it caused you know, it's sort of like suddenly these gene mutations or these, you know, this, this sequence of viral stuff just decided to kind of unpack itself. And, you know, as you're talking about that, it's like for so many people, they're just, you know, they just go about their business and they might have the gene, you know, the gene mutation might be there, but it never expresses itself. Absolutely. But because of your circumstances, you know, emotionally unavailable, alcoholic mom, dad, who's working all the time, living in the wrong body, being forced to express yourself inauthentically 
inappropriately. You know, I mean, it's sort of in some ways, it's like, no wonder your body was just like paralyzed with fear. Yeah. 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 So speaking of paralyzed with fear um, and not speaking your truth. So as the disease progressed, um, right. um, Let's see. So I was diagnosed at 36 years old. And right around that time, I started to slowly lose my voice and to be and when I finally got the diagnosis, it took another two years to get on the right medications because I still had a bunch of other surgeries to go through. And also the, the injections, the disease is so rare. It's it, the insurance needed proof of how this was detrimental in order for them to cover it because it's $30,000 a month. Oh. Crazy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I know, I know it's crazy. It's crazy. It is and crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. While I while I was waiting for the insurance to approve it and while I was waiting for other sur- surgeries to go through, the disease progressed to my vocal cords and I lost my ability to talk for two and a half years. And when that happened, it was very painful for anybody that knows what any type of paralysis feels like. It hurts to move anything that's paralyzed. And so even humming, even a <clears throat> clearing my throat was very painful. And so... Um, when I started to live in this silence, I started to become very depressed. I, I wear hearing aids. I was losing my hearing. I was becoming deaf and mute. And so I thought to myself at that point, I did start to go through a depression. I went to school to get my doctorate in clinical psychology to listen to patients, to talk to patients. I can't do either or what is my life? What is my future? What am I doing here? And so um, when I went inward at that point, um, I discovered meditation. I discovered Buddhism. And I started really going inward. And when I started going inward, I started noticing a lot of things that I didn't notice before. A lot of downloads that I call them information messages, um, talking to people telepathically and feeling more things empathetically and being more empathic. And didn't even know that these signals were so bright and alive within me. So becoming silent allowed other things to activate. And I would say that's activated from the soul. And once I activated my soul within myself and I became more true to myself and started loving myself more, things started to align. I met the right doctors. The medication went through. Um, Messages said, start to write your book. I wrote a book, started a podcast. Slowly, I started with one vocal cord. And then now here I am at 43, two and a half years later, and I'm finally thriving. So it's it's been quite a and singing. I, you know, I, there was like I, I, that I TikTok with you yeah. singing Stray Cat Strut the other day. <laughs> I love singing. Yeah, I love yeah. to sing. And you can sing. You Thank can you. really sing. Thank you. I appreciate sing. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What an amazing journey. So where, so how does, I mean, obviously this is the Empathic Mastery Show and you identify as an empath and, you know, we, we you know, that's part of why you're here aside from the fact yeah. that you just have this amazing story. Um, but how does being an empath fit into all of this? Like what, do, and do you see, or do you, do you sense that maybe there's a connection between all of the health things and being an empath? That's such an excellent question. And I'll have to say yes to all of it. First, it feels like a yes, because it's possible. And if it's possible, it's a yes. Yeah. And so um, as far as being an empath, Let's start with how difficult it is now in a healthy body being an empath. I felt Mm -hmm. that it was easier being, I'm going to use the word injured or more kind of 
vibing lower as an empath because I felt that I was kind of in alignment with it and just kind of let it happen more naturally. Whereas now I don't want to be such an empath because I'm vibing at a higher frequency and I find myself picking up a lot of people's emotions naturally and I can read them, I can feel them, I can hear them. Sometimes it's telepathic and I don't, I can't shake it off sometimes. I'm crying sometimes feeling people's pain. And I don't, I, I sometimes fear that if I feel other people's pain too much, it will activate the disease again. Mm. So I'm really trying to keep my ground right now. I'm going through a breakup and I'm really, really trying to not feel her, her emotions, but it's so hard when you've been connected to somebody so, so close. So I'm, yes. I'm, yeah, that, that's the challenge. Yes. Well, and with an emotionally unavailable mother who was self-medicating with alcohol, yeah. um, which, you know, I'm wondering also if there was a kind of a family agreement that you took on really early where you were not just feeling other people's pain, but you were processing other people's pain. Because that's one of the things that I think happens for so many of us as little baby empaths is that we are in families where there are people who are not willing to do their, you know, who just don't, will not feel their feelings mm -hmm. and we feel them for them and we process them. And so I wonder with your girlfriend or your, your, you know, you're sort of moving out of being your girlfriend person. If there's that intersection or that line between acknowledging and witnessing and knowing, noticing that they're feeling that they're in pain and that you are picking it up versus the place where we go into almost like by default, we start processing the feeling for them. We start, you know, we start moving through it. Does that make sense? It does make sense because I feel that I'm doing, um, I'm doing both for my mother and for her. Yeah. I'm currently with both of them, it's really difficult to put boundaries with, with it and sometimes i'm like today I, I was having a hard time today i was crying a lot today i'm not gonna lie yeah and i i have a real i'm challenged with how do i put boundaries as an empath right how is that possible when when i'm deep in it and i feel it so profoundly right. and you feel it so profoundly and when you know i was working with somebody earlier today and we were talking about when you are programmed like when you imprint on a dysfunctional behavior when you imprint on a broken, dysfunctional family relationship and reality is not a healthy reality, it's still the reality that you take as the default, as the consensus. And what gets really confusing about that is that it's almost like we have to unlearn, like we are programmed, like it's baked into our system to respond in a particular way. And it's like, we have to unlearn this agreement that we made to do the emotional processing for these people. And mm -hmm. if you're processing, I mean, like you probably, who knows? I mean, you might've prenatally before you even were conceived, you oh, might've yeah. signed a contract that said, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm willing to be the one who's doing the emotional processing for my mom. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and you're asking the question, I mean, this is the million dollar question for empaths is like, how do we go you know, I have a, I did, I created a meme a number of years ago that just has like a finger pointing and it says, you know, observe, don't absorb. 
And it's like that balance of how do we observe? How do we like that person is feeling an incredible amount of pain? I'm acknowledging that they're in an incredible amount of pain and I don't have to process it for them. I can share my own personal experience with this, which is that what I had to learn to do was when I witnessed pain and I started to experience the pain coming into my body and I started to feel the pain as if it was my own, what I would do is I would, I would take a moment and just be like, this is that person's pain and you, and I am acknowledging it. And instead of absorbing it and letting it move through my whole body or continue to be in my body and that it's my job to process it, what I do is I open the like the channels, the drains, the portals in the chakras and the soles of my feet. And I op- and I am conscious of like my root chakra being open. And then what I do is I just imagine all of the energy that I am taking on or anything that I'm trying to like that I'm trying to process for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I ground it. I like imagine it just drain that I am just like a tube. I'm a conduit through which that person's pain, I'm acknowledging it and I'm sending it down into the earth. I'm sending it and I'm offering it up to the divine. I'm like, this is a pain that is greater than me. I can hold space for it. I can witness it. I can acknowledge that this person is in pain, but I'm going to offer it to a power greater than myself because it's not my job to process that person's emotion. I have to write this down. (laughs) Yeah. Good thing we're recording it too. Oh, that's true, right? Yeah. You said something right now uh, before releasing it to a greater, say that again, a greater. A power greater than myself. You know, turning it over to divine source as well as letting all the excess emotion and just all that energy just ground, like letting it literally drain. And the more, the other thing I will say is that the more personally comfortable I am with being, with sitting with my own discomfort, with my own misery, with my own anguish, and just being merciful towards myself, the less I need to rush in to rescue somebody else. And so it's like, if I can let it be okay that I'm having a hard day, then I can let it be okay that somebody else is having a hard day too. So, but- I will also say that as a, that one of the things I've personally noticed for those of us who are empaths is that when somebody's uncomfortable about being uncomfortable, there's this urgency that they have. We pick up on that urgency and we feel better when they feel better. So we will often yes. feel the need to rush into rescue. Right. And so the challenge is like, it's like going from that, I'm observing that you're in pain I can sense your pain, but I am not going to lean into your pain and ping it and process it for you or try to make it better or fix it or rescue you now. Like there's just that incredible balance of Mm -hmm. like, I can witness it. I can acknowledge it. It's like, yeah, sucks to be you. It's really hard to be going through this right now. And, but at the same time to be able to be like, and this is yours to process. This is yours to feel. I'm not saying that to you specifically. I'm talking about the theoretical person who's going through the thing. 
So, so that that totally makes sense. I love how you said that. Thank you for that. And I wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel better already just hearing it that way. Yeah. You know what? Some of the things that you were talking about, the whole rescue thing, I did that a lot as a child with my mother. I was yeah. rescuing her all the time because a happy, healthy mother means that I'm loved. Ding, and ding, ding. Yeah. And so, ah, see, now I'm feeling, feeling it. Um, it's just, uh, I always, I was always rushing to save her and I find myself kind of doing the same thing with, with a person I was recently with. And so, well, we, and we imprint on it, you know, it's like we come into these family agreements and we come into these family relationships where, you know, and, and we, and we come into these with these, with this understanding that this is our job. And I also think that there's this interesting phenomenon. There's like some people, there's a, um, you know, people talk about the mother wound and about like one of the dynamics of the generation of, I would say, like the the late stage boomer women and then the millen- you know, and then the Gen X women, especially, and to some extent, even the early millennial women. But I think like the late stage boomers and the Gen Xers, there are a lot of us who were doing our mother's emotional heavy lifting. like, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of like boundarylessness of like, we were the daughters that were the confidants. We were the ones who were responsible for our mother's emotional processing. And I think, and, and it's, it's, I think it's almost like a phenomenon that there are so many of us who like had to get to be an adult and suddenly went, wait a second, I've been processing my mother's stuff for her for my entire yeah. life. Yeah. You know, you know, and you being, I mean, it's interesting. I was also, I was not born um two months early, but I was born almost a month early. And I mean, I was processing my mother's emotions from the time I was in utero. Like, oh yeah, of course. Definitely. You know, and I'm imagining like you were processing, like you have a mother with a lot of intense emotions that she doesn't know what to do with. I had a mother with a lot of intense emotions that she didn't know what to do with. Right. And it's sort of like even in utero, we're already having oh, yeah. to deal with that processing. We are. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of utero, something that you'd mentioned earlier were soul contracts. Yes. So some of the things that I try to, because I'm very spiritual. And yes. so some of the things that have helped me unlearn yeah. some of these, these uh, self-sabotaging behaviors is understanding that I came into, incarnated into this world to learn something, to have a lesson, yeah. to grow and to expand. And so in knowing that, I ask myself often when I am in pain, I'm in distress, what am I learning from this? Please show me, show me what I'm learning. And usually it's one, one or two words, self-love or patience. And it, it, the words come fast and, and, and I'm not pushing it, I'm receiving them. And so I know that in this, these abandonment issues and these traumas that I go through, that I've gone through and still feel that it's all in the field of me learning to love, love myself even more, more in depth. And what does that mean to just see myself, the purity of all that I am Yeah. and in yeah. doing in the thing that gets challenging sometimes again, as an empath is that the more that I see what a pure, pure being I am and how much I am all love, I see everyone for the love that they are. Yes. And, and being so open to that love, it makes me that much more, closer and exposed to feeling their pain as well. 
Yeah. And yeah. That's that's where the trick is. That's that's where I need the balance. Well, and it's the boundaries. You know, it's sort of like I was saying this earlier to a client. It's like, you know, it's like um have faith in Allah and tie up your camel. You know, <laughs> that it's that it's sort of this thing of being loving is not the same as being boundaryless. And I, like I think it was, I think it was, I can't remember who said this. I don't know if it was Brené Brown who talked about this or where, but it's some author commented in a book I was listening to a little while ago that basically the irony is that often the most loving people are also the most boundaried people. That it's like knowing what your limits are and knowing what you can tolerate and not tolerate and recognizing and also discernment. And this is the thing with alcoholism in particular. And it's interesting because this is like part two of the conversation about alcoholism because I was having a long conversation with somebody earlier today about it. The problem with alcoholism is that the, into the intoxication of the disease distorts our perception of reality. And as empaths, we are intoxicated by the alcoholic's perception of themselves and we perceive their reality as legitimate as opposed to broken and like as opposed to disease, like I, dysfunctional, whatever word you want to use. But the thing is, it's like there is this way in which we are constantly finding ourselves believing or drinking the Kool-Aid and giving the person who is in pain and is having a problem, especially an addict, the benefit of the doubt when what we need is that discernment to say, I can love this person, but I also recognize that they are drinking and that they are intoxicated and their perception of reality is distorted. And I cannot open my heart in a way that allows them to just walk all over it. Like I have to have these boundaries. And so that means like things like I'm not going to respond to text messages after, you know, this person's got their drink on at eight o'clock at night. Right. I'm not going to answer the phone when they call me drunk. I'm not, you know, like that ability to be like, I can love this person, but I can also have boundaries about when their distortion, distorted perception of reality is going to intoxicate my perception of reality and I will give myself away in it. I will compromise my truth for that other person. Is what I'm saying making sense? Yeah, you know what? It also makes sense for um, for other types of, I mean- exactly Oh, all other things, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want, I mean, I guess I could since we're, we're being open here. So, so just to be a little more open, my girlfriend, my former girlfriend, she's, um, you know, everyone's got traumas. No, yeah, there's no one with some some people have heavier traumas, but her traumas uh, resulted her in being a very avoidant type person. Yeah. So you've got cold, hot and cold. Right. Yeah. Which is not ironic to similarly to how my mother was as an alcoholic. <laughs> right. I mean, we fall into these patterns. We do. We 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 recap yeah. we recapitulate it. We will find a person who will re like we will find the same dynamic and the same pattern until we heal it. Until exactly. And so the lesson here that I keep hearing is love. You got to go back to self-love. And sometimes I'm like, how much more can I love myself? I love myself. I can honestly yeah. say that. But there's something that's still in there that's still feeling that I'm undeserving and unworthy because anytime I don't get a response, I automatically I start to feel unworthy, unloved, 
undeserving, not good enough. And these these programs that they're either coming from past lives. I'm like, is this really coming just from this life? This much pain? I don't think so. Well, and ancestral from other lives, ancestral and past lives. It's like we've True. got we you know, the way I look at it, it's like we've got the tri. you know, it's actually the it's not even the trifecta. It's the quaff quadfecta, you know, in that we've got like, OK, we got all the shit that happened in this life while we're alive and incarnate. We've got all the stuff that we experienced that we experienced in utero, um, you know, while we were while we were there. Then we've got all of the inherited. We've got all of the inherited like trauma that's in our DNA, as well as the energetic trauma that's coming from our ancestors, as well as all the agreements and the rules and the legacies and the things. Right. And then on top of that, we've got the God only knows how many thousands or at least hundreds (laughs) You know, for most of us, the hundreds, if not thousands of lives we've lived prior to this one, that's all contributing to it. And it's like, no wonder we struggle with these things. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all all, there's a lesson and all of it is there's a lesson. And that's what I'm currently trying to do. I'm trying to learn this lesson so that I can level myself up, my soul to expand, to grow and just to love everybody unconditionally, including myself. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you were speaking about the abandonment, like when you get that text message and, or you send a text message, you send us something, you check in, you, you, you know, and you don't get any response, you get ghosted or just something. And then you spiral into that. I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling insecure. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Yeah. You know, the thing is that if you experienced any kind of programming or gaslighting as a little kid where you were basically like the like you were told that I'm ignoring you because you're being a little shit or like if there was any place where you actually got that programming I did where I did. you know so of yeah. course The evidence is when your mom ignores you, that means that, and she's literally told you, I'm doing this because you're unlovable or you're unworthy, then why would you not interpret that person not responding with, with, you know, even though you know they've got like um, avoidant attachment disorder, why would you not immediately until that, until that message is dismantled and we've taken at, taken it apart, right? Why wouldn't you immediately interpret it in the way that you were taught to interpret it? It it's so true, and I need yeah. to, and I'm I'm trying really hard to unlearn this. Really, yeah. it's one of the most challenging things. That, it's more challenging. I mean, it's it's a different challenge than the physical things that I've gone through in surgery, but it's it's equally. Um, Ugh, since pain for me doesn't have measurement, I mean, I feel that it's it's equally painful, really. Yeah, yeah. So, Lino, something that I used to do on the show a lot and I haven't done in a really long time is I actually have incorporated tapping where we did some EFT tapping. And I'm wondering if you want to play, if you'd be open to playing with me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've tried because, it on myself. It's been about a year, but I'm, I would love to be real. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, you know, the thing is, especially if you've um, encountered just like online tapping, and especially if you've encountered just the tapping scripts, it's really different when you're doing it dialed in and specifically for yourself. Um, and for what you're really working on, as opposed to just kind of like a generic tapping script. Right, that's true. 
Yeah, but um, if you're open to it, I'd love Absolutely. to do a little bit of tapping. <laughs> yeah, I'd love this. So, so what I'm hearing in what you're describing, and I'm wondering, like, it seems to me that we're dealing with two, like, I'm sensing two things. There's like, there's the core message or the belief that when she does not respond to my text, it's a something, it's, it's, it's because I'm unlovable. Would right. you say, is that an accurate description or, of? I'm unlovable. I did something wrong. I'm I did something person. wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds again it that goes to, to goes back to what you were saying before I, I started telling you about this. You were talking about the need to rescue. So it's yes. also that if I if I go and I answer right because I haven't heard from her, are you okay? Or I didn't mean this, that's trying to rescue the avoidant and in rather than just being in my own strength and my own power and believing that going back to spirituality, that she has her own spirit team helping her and guiding her through this too. It's still challenging because it wants to be very impulsive. There's an impulsive need and, and to, to say, are we cool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially when your sense of survival and your sense of like, you need to be in loyal alignment with your parents and with your mother mm -hmm. in order to get your fundamental needs met. And so you're going to do everything you can to peacemake and to make sure that it's safe. and. If you're like recapitulating or any of us is recapitulating that pattern with a romantic partner, yeah. we're going to have that like need to know it's cool, even if it's not cool. I, I will just say as a side note, I must I, I really love the movie. He's not that into you for like just kind of that that energy of letting somebody like not chasing or pursuing or trying to get somebody to love us when they can't love us. And right. just kind of let them be because I mean, and that's a big challenge with um, the attack, you know, somebody who's got um, avoidant attachment stuff, because like the dynamic of like, they are, they're constantly in that role of like letting you be the seeker and them always being the one who's being chased and pursued, right. uh, but they're also always the one sort of like playing hard to get and putting up their hands and, you know, breaking out of that pattern. Uh, there was this book cartoon book I saw many years ago called The Seeker and the Sought. And it was oh. about the idea that in relationships, you have one person who's often the seeker and the other one is often the sought, and that it's a power struggle between the two of them. But often it's the sought that has the power in the relationship and the seeker who can feel really disempowered. But ironically, it's when the seeker stops seeking that the sought then gets to decide, do they actually want to be in the relationship? Or are they like, it's kind of like, if you're like, yeah, you do you boo, like, okay, fine. You don't want to be here, go off, do your thing. And they don't have, and they don't feel you pulling on them. Then they will either be like, oh, but I do want to be in this relationship and come back around or you're free. But it's just such an interesting thing. So I heard, so in terms of messages or beliefs, I did something wrong on a scale of zero to 10. If you were to imagine if you were to imagine like zero being, or or maybe percentage wise, like zero percent to hundred percent, how true does that feel? I did something wrong. How true does that feel? So, I'm gonna say five. Okay. And can do, should I explain or just give you? No, nope, don't even bother explaining. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what about um, I you know is it I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy is there another message about that or is it just I did something wrong um I honestly what came to my head is I fucked up I fucked up okay so 
I fucked up. Is that still a five or is that bigger? It's about a five. Yeah. Okay. And then what about sort of the feeling of urgency when you're, and I'm wondering, is like, do you send the text message and then you don't get anything back? Or did they like, what, when does that feeling of like, I need to do something about this come in? When I don't hear from them. Okay. And is that usually like you send a text message and then you don't hear from them? Yeah. Okay. So if you think about the period of time between and how long, I'm just out of curiosity, how much time does it take to go from I send a text message to I'm not hearing from them and you're starting to feel that panic come in? I start to feel the panic um, sometimes right away within an hour and then sometimes within mm, half a day. Okay. So yeah. basically we're talking between one to 12 hours. Yeah. Panic ensues basically. Yeah. And if you were to imagine that moment when the panic sets in or, and I'm using the word panic, would you say it's panic or is again, it fear? What is it? I was about to explain again. That's because I'm an empath. I can feel their emotions. So yeah. if I, when I when cause there are times when I, I don't have to, I didn't have to hear from her right away, but that's cause I could feel she's in a good place. Right. And I so, feel her, you know, so it, you guys, so, so what I'm actually getting a couple of things I'm getting, one is that you and she are still connected. And yes. so that even though she's saying she doesn't want to be in a relationship with you, you're still courted to each other. You're still connected. Yeah. And so that's one of those places where, in my experience, you have to call their bluff and you have to basically be like, well, okay, if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, I'm going to retract. I'm going to pull out my cords uh, or my tendrils. I'm going to disconnect from you mm -hmm. because you don't want to be in a relationship with me. And it's too painful for me to well, continuously to feel you. And this is her second time doing this to me. Wants to yeah. only be friends. Yeah. Mm. First time she came back within four days and this time it's been a month. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in a relationship with somebody who had us where the dynamic was somewhat similar. They were in control. They were the person who, they were the person who was deciding what they wanted to do. They were perfectly happy to be friends with benefits with me, but I was, I would just, every single time I'd be even in their presence, I would just completely be sucked back in. And what was very interesting, though, was that when I finally was like, okay, you don't want to be in a relationship with me, fine, I'm pulling out. They got they got really pissed, like they really lost it, because I was, you know, I cut off the supply. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm thinking so with so in terms, but the other thing that I've noticed for myself, and I've seen with a lot of us is when we're not getting a response. Yes. The other thing that we do is we ping people. And so what? ping people, you oh, know, right. like the computer idea of pinging something where yeah. you're like sending a ping just to see if you get a response. Mm -hmm. I would invite you to just look at, are you pinging her? Are you, are you like, when you don't hear from her, are you telepathically reaching out and sending a little bit, your feelers out there to find out what's going on with her? And that's when you feel her pain. Like that's when you feel her confusion. That's when you feel her ambivalence, all of those other things. Maybe you aren't, but I'm just because you are also, I, I can sense you're still very connected to her. Yeah, yeah. But let's go back to the one to 12 hours. Would you sure. say, so is it panic? Is it fear? Is it distress? Like what feeling would you say arises? Well, first physically. And what I start to feel physically first is all the blood rushes to my fingers and my toes. 
Mm. And I get this empty pit feeling in my heart and my gut. Empty and pit feeling. Very deep. That's where it starts physically. And okay. then, then I start to have emotions and then I start to overthink. Okay. Okay. So you go from physical to emotional to spirit to mental. Yeah. Um. So zero to 10, without going into any of the feelings or thoughts or talking about it at all right now, if you were to just guess that empty feeling, like that moment of like when it starts to come on, zero to 10, what's the level of intensity with that? Just guess Oof. it. I'm going to say it's uh it's a, it's about an eight and a half. Yeah. It's yeah. Within. Okay. Shall we do a little bit of tapping? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. And as with all of my <laughs> tab along videos and, um, and you guys, I think this show is going to be a little bit longer than some of our episodes are, but you know, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be worth it. Appreciate um, it. as with all of my videos and all of my, all of my tab along sequences, you agreed to take 100% responsibility for your own process. Don't go places that you don't belong. If I say something and the words don't work for you, change the words to work for you. So. Even though Even it though, feels like I fucked up. It feels like I fucked up. It feels like I did something wrong. feels like I did something wrong. I send out a, a, a text message. I send out a text message. And somewhere between one and 12 hours. And somewhere between one and 12 hours. The blood starts to rush into my fingers and toes. The blood starts to rush into my fingers and toes. I feel this empty feeling in the pit of my, it just empty pit feeling in my body. Feeling in my body, and then I start feeling the emotions. Then I start feeling the emotions, and then my head goes at it. And then my head goes at it. I'm just acknowledging all of this. Just acknowledging all of this, and I am open to the possibility. And I'm open to the possibility that this can shift. That this can shift in a way that works for me. In a way that works for me, and I can love myself through this. And I can love myself through this even more. Even more. So even though. Even though. I feel like I fucked up. I feel like I fucked up. I did something wrong. I did something wrong. And I send off a text message. And I sent off a text message. And somewhere between 1 and 12 hours. And somewhere between 1 and 12 hours. Suddenly, the blood just starts rushing into my hands and feet. Suddenly, the blood starts rushing into my hands and feet. I have this empty pit feeling. I have this empty pit feeling. And then I start to feel the emotions. And then I start to feel the emotions. And then my head. Then my head. Just starts to come up with all, all kinds of thoughts. Starts to come up with all kinds of thoughts. I'm just acknowledging all of this. I'm just acknowledging all of this. It's really understandable why I feel this, why I'm going through this. It's really understandable why I'm feeling this and going through this. And I'm open to the possibility. And I'm open to the possibility that I can find what really works for me. And I can find what really works for me. That this can shift. That this can shift. And I can love myself even more. And I can love myself even more. Through all of this. Through all of this. And I'm okay. And I'm okay. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. So even though. Even though. I feel like I fucked up. I feel like I fucked up. <laughs> I feel like I did something wrong. I feel like I did something wrong. Somewhere between one and 12 hours. Somewhere between one and 12 hours. I, after sending that email or, or that text message, I feel the blood rush into my hands. I feel the blood rush into my hands. I feel this empty pit feeling. I feel this empty pit feeling. 
And then my my heart and my my feelings start to go off. Feelings go off. And my and then my mind just my takes mind it to the next level. Takes it to the next level. And I'm thinking. And I'm thinking. It's just true. This is true. This is what happens. This is what happens. And it's understandable. It's understandable. I got good reasons for feeling this way. I have good reasons for feeling this way. So I'm just acknowledging it. I'm just acknowledging it. Just tapping on it. Just tapping on it. Loving myself anyway. Loving myself anyway. And open to the possibility. And open to the possibility. That this will shift. That this will shift. And I can find something that works even better for me. And I can find something that works even better for me. What feels like the right thing to tap on? I did something wrong. I fucked up or, you know, that empty pit feeling. Did something wrong, that empty pit feeling I fucked up. I'm thinking that empty pit feeling is that, does that feel true? Yes. Yeah. So we're just going to use that as a reminder phrase. We're just going to tap through the points. Just that empty pit feeling. That empty pit feeling. Eyebrows, that empty pit feeling. That empty pit feeling. Now on the side of the eyes, right on the temples, that empty pit feeling. That empty pit feeling. Now underneath your eyes, like right where your glasses end, <laughs> that empty pit feeling. Even in a little bit closer towards, yeah, like that empty pit feeling. Sort of right on the sockets of your eyes under your pupils. Or under your irises, under your nose, on that cupid's bow or the philtrum, that empty pit feeling. Under the lip, that empty pit feeling. Collarbone, that empty pit feeling. Under the arm, that empty pit feeling. Top of the head, that empty pit feeling. Let's take a deep breath. Thank you so much for your willingness to be so real and to do this with us. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you're noticing this, but Zoom does this really funny thing sometimes when I'm facilitating things where the thumbs up button will suddenly show up when energy moves during an EFT session. And it's just the most, it's, it's just the, it's so fascinating. Cause I'm like, it's like the universe is like, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> so if you were to guess on a scale of zero to 10, I did something wrong and I fucked up. We're both a five before. Do they still feel like a five? No. What do you think no. they are now? Or guess they are now? Maybe a one. <laughs> wow. And what about that feeling? You were at an eight and a half about that feeling, that empty pit feeling when we started. What is that now? About a four. Amazing. How about we do a little bit more tapping? Is that okay? Sure. Great. So even though. Even though. This empty pit feeling. This empty pit feeling. Is still at about a four. It's still at about a four. Because it's a big deal. Because it's a big deal. And it's something that I've been dealing with for a really long time. That's something I've been dealing with a very long time. And when I was, and when I was really little. And when I was really little. It was a matter of survival. It was a matter of survival. No wonder I felt this way. No wonder I felt this way. So I'm just acknowledging it. Just acknowledging it. 
just tapping on it. And open to the possibility. And I'm open to the possibility. That this will shift even more. This will shift even more. And I can really love myself through this. And I can really love myself through this. Because I'm okay. Because I am okay. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. I am a rock star. I'm a rock star. <laughs> I've, I've been through 40 surgeries. I've been to over 40 surgeries. <laughs> over 40 surgeries. I lost my voice and I regained it. I lost my voice and I regained it. I am a singer. I am a singer. I am a writer. I am. I love writing. Yes. I, I love writing. writing. I'm a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. I'm thriving. I'm thriving. So there's this little four. So there's this little four. <laughs> I'm open to the possibility. I'm open to the possibility. That this will shift entirely. That this will shift entirely. So even though. Even though. There's maybe a four. There's maybe a four. Of this empty pit feeling. Of this empty pit feeling. Totally understandable. It's totally understandable. I've got good reasons for feeling this way. I've got good reasons for feeling this way. And I can also see how much it's shifted. And I can also see how much it's shifted. How far I've come. How far I've come. Over 40 surgeries. Over 40 surgeries. Losing my voice for two years. Losing my voice for two years. Regaining. And, and yet now I speak. I sing. I write. I speak. I sing. I write. I podcast. I podcast. I am thriving. I am thriving. And I deserve. And I deserve. To love and be loved. To love and be loved. With the same level of reciprocity. With the same level of reciprocity. On both sides. On both sides. And maybe I can just send love. And maybe I can just send love. To the people whose trauma. To the people whose trauma. Prevents them from being able to love. Prevents them from being in love. The way that I can love. The way that I can love. Because I'm fucking awesome. Because I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> so even though. <laughs> even though. There's maybe this four left. There's maybe this four left. Of this empty pit feeling. Of this empty pit feeling. Just acknowledging it. Just acknowledging it. Loving myself anyway. Loving myself anyway. And really claiming. And really claiming. What a loving being I am. What a loving being I am. How guided by love I am. How guided by love I am. And how worthy of love I am. And how worthy of love I am. I deserve a relationship. I deserve a relationship. I deserve relationships. <laughs> I deserve relationships. With Beings who can love me as much as I love them. With beings who can love me as much as I love them. I welcome reciprocity in my life. I welcome reciprocity in my life. Anything else we want to add? No, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm okay. And I'm okay. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Because I'm a freaking rock, rock star. Because I'm a freaking rock star. <laughs> this remaining empty pit feeling. Uh, empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. 
This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. This remaining empty pit feeling. Any last bits of the empty pit feeling? Any last bits of the empty pit feeling? And I'm okay. And I am okay. Let's take a deep breath. Thank so, you. So, I did something wrong. I fucked up with a one. Is there anything left on those? Right now, at the moment, I feel zero. Great. <laughs> what about the um, empty pit feeling? It was a four last we checked. What is it now? At the moment, it's a zero. Amazing. <laughs> what would we like to, how about we do one more round of tapping to anchor in a, a something that you really want to reinforce for yourself? Like, I am a rock star. I, I give love. I am worthy of love. I give and receive. Like, what feels like the right message for you? Oh geez, uh, give and receive equally, and yeah. I'm, I because I, I almost thought I'm worthy of, but I, if I were to give and receive equally, that would feel worthy of. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, so here I am. Here I am. Recognizing myself. Recognizing myself as a deeply loving person. As a deeply loving person. And I in I welcome and I welcome reciprocal love. Reciprocal love. Relationships of equal relationships of equality. Relationships of equality. Where I give, I receive as much love as I give. Where I receive as much love as I give. And I give as much love as I receive. And I give as much love as I receive. And is there, is it, and, and I just think, and, and it's okay. And it's okay. That there are some people. That there are some people. Who are not capable of this yet. Who are not capable of this yet. I can love them. I can love them. And maintain a boundary. And maintain a boundary. And open my heart completely. And open my heart completely. To the people who open their heart completely to me. To the people who open their heart completely to me. How's that land? It lands beautifully. Yeah. Top of the head, I welcome equal. I welcome equal. Actually, I welcome love in equal measure. I welcome love in equal measure. I give love and I receive love equally. I give love and I receive love equally. I welcome. Love in equal measure. In equal measure. I receive love. I receive love. And I give love equally. And I give love equally. Side of the eyes. I welcome love in equal measure. I welcome love in equal measure. I give love. I give love. And I receive love. And I receive love. Equally. Equally. I welcome love. I welcome love. With e in equal measure. In equal measure. I give love and receive love. I give love and receive love. With reciprocity. With reciprocity. 
I welcome reciprocal love. I welcome reciprocal love. Love where I give as much as I receive. Love where I give as much as I receive. And I receive as much as I give. And I receive as much as I give. I am loving and loved. I am loving and loved. I welcome love. I welcome love. I embrace love. I embrace love. And I offer love. And I offer love. And I start with me. And I start with me. I give myself love. I give myself love. And I receive love from myself. And I receive love from myself. I welcome reciprocity. I welcome reciprocity. In all the love. In all love. I give. I give give love. I give love. And I receive love. And I receive love. And I receive love. And I receive love. And I give love. And I give love. And I'm okay. And I'm okay. Let's take a deep breath. How are you doing? I'm doing well. There's that thumbs up again. There's that thumbs up again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Zoom. I have a metaphysical relationship with Zoom. I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was really beautiful. I do. I feel a lot of peace. I feel my heart centered more calm. Um, I feel there's more clarity. And um, I'm just really appreciative and grateful for the space that you've given me and everybody that's watching this. This is going to be so helpful for so many people. Lino, my absolute delight and pleasure, like my absolute delight and pleasure. This really was just thank you for being so open, for being so real. So we are at that point where we're like just coming around to the, the top of the whole thing. And um, I always like to do two things. Sure. One thing I love to do is I just love to take a moment to think about that young little Lino mm-hmm. at some point in their life where they really needed a message from the wise, thriving self that you are. Uh-huh. Because I really believe that podcasts exist outside of time. You know, they like they live for like for years after they've been recorded. But I also believe they have an ability to kind of fold back on time and leave messages in the past. So I'm just imagining you yes. and I are here and we are going back in the past and connecting mm-hmm. with that little Lino. Mm-hmm. What does he need to hear? Yeah, little little Lino. So I've done this. Actually, I've done a lot of shadow work this last four weeks, a lot of shadow work. And I've done this with myself. And in, in doing this meditation with myself alone, um, by myself, I saw myself as a child crying and um, actually, you know, the specific vision that I have is um, a vision that I had once of my, I I overheard my mother in a drunken state when at the time I came out as a lesbian when I was 12 years old because I was a female back then. I liked girls. I felt like a boy, but I, that was being ignored. So when I came out and said, guess what? I like girls. My mother in a drunken state, I heard her tell my father um, and I was at the foot of the stairs hearing this. She said, I don't know who my kid is anymore. And I don't think I love them. Mm. And when I heard that, I felt zero emotions. I felt very numb. I couldn't really understand where that came from or what that even meant. But I, all I know is that that hurt me for the rest of my life after after I processed that later in my 20s. So what I did in this meditation is, uh, and I forgive my mom, viewers, watchers, and listeners, I've forgiven my mom entirely. I don't see her with, I don't see her in the light of 
what no, the you guys have causing. sorted it out. We've you sorted it sorted out. Right, it out. right. Yeah. So but, what does that little yeah. Lino need to hear? Yeah, so that little Lino needs to hear that that I do that I love him and that he's love and that I'm coming from the future to let you know that everything's going to be okay and that everything that you're going through is making you even the strongest, most beautiful, loving human being that you could ever imagine. And you have so many beautiful aspects to yourself and you're going to see yourself blossom in ways that you never, ever imagined. So keep yes. going, keep loving yourself. You're you're the best, you're awesome. And don't let anything or anyone ever bring you down because you are all love. Oh, 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 so, so beautiful. And I also will just make a plug for EFT. If there's anything left in that memory, there is a very specific technique using when using EFT is in, in a clinical way, kind of precisely um, that's called movie, tell the story where we go back and we literally go back in time and we tap out all the emotional intensity in an event like that. And it is miraculous. Like it is a game changer for people. So just saying, if you have not completely cleared it, there are, there is the technology. Um, Lino, I know I forgot to ask you, is there anything that if you don't say it during this interview, you're just going to kick yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really huge on self-love because that's been one of the biggest things that I've been trying to master through my whole life. From yeah. living in hospitals, having major scars in my body, from changing my body from a male, a female to a male. Yeah. And uh, being, I was single for eight and a half years before I found my current girlfriend. I mean, it, there was a lot of fear that I lived within me and it always turned back to me going back to self-love, self-love. So if a message, if, if somebody needs to hear this, I'm here to let you know that the best thing you could do in, is, is to love yourself. And how do you start loving yourself is as small as giving yourself a, medic, a, a, a pedicure or a manicure or taking a longer shower or bath baby steps. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant and say, I love you. And when you don't feel it, you will start yeah. to feel it when you do things for yourself using all of your five senses. Don't well, give and keep going. Yeah. Don't give up. Keep going. And I also want to say sometimes it's as simple as noticing, you know, going to the bathroom when you notice you need to go to the bathroom, putting on a sweater yeah. when you notice that you are hot. I mean, you are cold taking off right. the sweater when you're noticing you're hot, right. drinking a glass, taking a sip of water when you notice you're thirsty instead of waiting, instead of putting it off, True, like all yes. of the tiny little microaggressions we put ourselves through on a daily basis. And like, exactly. just even those teeny little ways we love ourselves. You know, this conversation has just been so delicious. It has been so your your candor, your honesty. Like I, I, I just you've been so transparent and so real, and just have shown up with just such a pure heart. I am sure everybody who is listening is appreciating this. So you. obviously, you have an amazing podcast. A little less Thank fear. You which yes. is available. You've also, you're really active over on the talk, um, yeah. on TikTok and everything. Um, how do people get in touch with you? What what are the ways? And we'll have stuff in the show notes as well. Uh, people can email me directly at a little less fear at gmail.com or through my website at a little less at www.alittlelessfear.com. And on my website, you'll be able to follow me on Instagram, on TikTok and YouTube, my YouTube channel. My podcast is also on there. And uh, my the link to Amazon where to get my book is on there. Fantastic. So guys, everything will be on the show notes so that you can access that. And, you know, come on over to, if you're a TikToker, come on over to TikTok and join me and Lino over there. Yeah. Um, your handle on, uh, on TikTok is... At a little less fear. Podcast. At a little less fear. And of course, as you guys might guess, mine is at Empathic Mastery. <laughs>
Lino, thank you so much for thank such a good so conversation. This was beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Take care. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.